Hey, good evening. Welcome to another week here at BSF. We're glad you're here. Up this week is the book of Micah. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to hear from your chosen spokespeople of the Old Testament. Thank you for the hard life that they led. Uh, Their message was often rejected by the people who were alive at the time. Father, I pray that as we come uh, to these passages tonight, that our hearts would be receptive to the words that you spoke to your people people through the prophet Micah. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, when I was in high school, I had a close friend. We were both on the rowing team. We both like to go snowboarding in the winter season. We both listened to a lot of the same music. Uh, We both wore Converse Chuck Taylor sneakers, and we both really liked chocolate chip cookies from the local grocery store. So when I was in college, I had a close friend. Uh, We were both on the lacrosse team. We both rode mountain bikes. We ordered the same compact discs, for those of you who remember those, from BMG. Uh, We both wore well-broken-in baseball hats. And we both really liked Jewel Osco Pop Soda, for those of you uh, from other parts of the country. At the end of my time in college, I had another really close friend. We got married, and we like a lot of the same movies. We both really like a local Mexican restaurant, and we both are teaching leaders here at BSF. Now... It's not to say that the friends that I had at these different times in my life were exact carbon copies of me or that I was a carbon copy of them. There were certainly differences that existed. But I think one of the things that I've experienced in my life is that I tend to become like the people that I spend time with. And, you know, it's a two-way street, right? I, You know, you share things that you like and you learn things that somebody else is like. And a lot of times you end up you know, coalescing on things that you both like together. And uh, it's probably not unnatural for us as people to think that as we spend time with people, as we see the way that they dress or we see the kind of clothes that they have or the way that they drive or the way that they talk or the, the, the things that they prioritize that we tend to rub off uh, on each other. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that this is definitively a good thing or a bad thing, but one thing that I've noticed is that I can definitely pick up people's habits around me. They're good ones and they're bad ones. And I think that one of the questions that Micah subtly is asking the nation of Israel uh, as, he's, as he's speaking to them, as he's speaking on behalf of the Lord Uh, One of the questions that he's asking the people is, who are you spending time with? Who are you walking with? It's not so much that we're going to see Micah use those exact words where he's going to say, oh, Israel, who are you walking with? Uh, But Micah does say in uh, chapter 6, verse 8, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I would say that these characteristics of uh, showing justice and showing mercy, these were not the things that were happening in the land of Israel at this time. And so it begs the question of who were the people of Israel, both the, the northern kingdom of Samaria and the southern kingdom uh, based in Jerusalem, who were they walking with? Who were they rubbing shoulders with? Who were they spending time with? Whose habits 
were they picking up? Uh, Micah calls the nation of Israel, both the northern and southern kingdom, to walk humbly with God. And I think that that's the main truth for us this week in BSF, is to learn that God does desire his people to walk humbly with him. But what does that look like? Uh, what does it look like to walk with someone who exists outside of time and space, uh, who isn't really a person the way that you and I think of people? What does that process of walking with God look like? It isn't going to look like walking down the street per se. Uh, Micah does give us some insight and perspective into what it looks like to walk with God. And so we're going to try to go through and understand some of the, the practical ways that we can walk with God uh, as we think about what it means to walk humbly with him. Uh, the first thing that Micah is going to reveal to us is uh, as we go into uh, Micah 1, so grab your Bibles, get them out. We're going to look at uh, a couple different sections in Micah tonight. The first one we're going to look at is that when we want to walk with God, walking with God, it means that we're not going to provoke his anger. Uh, one of the things that God was quite upset about with the nation, and we've seen this in other weeks, is uh, God is upset when the people... Uh, when his people choose to worship idols, to worship uh, false gods, instead, uh, the call is to worship God. Uh, Micah 1.1 starts off with a quick introduction of Micah, who he is. Uh, Micah of Moresheth, it's a city, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We know from our study of First and Second Kings that the northern kingdom was still around. Uh, the northern kingdom was around until about the middle of Hezekiah's reign. And so as Micah is writing during the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz, uh, the northern kingdom would have still been around and the southern kingdom would have been around as well. And so Micah's visions that he saw, uh, which he saw concerning Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, the capital city of the southern kingdom. This is a word that God had for both of the nations. But we know as we look at Micah 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, that Israel's persistent idolatry has provoked God to pour out judgment on Samaria and on Jerusalem. We can get a sense that it's idolatry as we get to the end of this little verse of sections here, verses 2 through 7. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages burned with the fire. All her idols will be laid to waste. So God is planning judgment for the city of Samaria to the point that it will be made a heap, verse 6, in the open country, a place for vineyards. Micah begins to lament the the exile, the punishment that is coming as we look in verses eight through sixteen. Uh, he is uh, he is the, the, as as Micah goes through this, it seems that not only does Micah understand that there is judgment coming for the for the kingdom of Samaria, but also for Jerusalem as well. As we go through these sections, uh, Micah says, "I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals." And as he moves into verse 10, there's a lot of wordplay that happens in this section as we look at some of the names of these cities that Micah is sharing with us. Uh, it, you know, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, and Beth Lepra. Uh, I don't know if, if Beth Lepra is actually a town. Uh, it translates literally as house of dust. It could be a play on the name of, you know, if you kind of blend together Bethlehem and Ephrathah, it could be potentially a play on that. But there's a lot of wordplay that's happening here in some of these names of places 
uh, that Micah is speaking about. Some of the cities are cities that would eventually be conquered by the Assyrians, uh, but Micah is sort of walking people through the reality that it is not possible to walk humbly with God and to pursue idolatry. God calls his people to an exclusive relationship with him. So idolatry was one of the problems in the the land of Israel, the land of Samaria, but not the only problem. The other problem that Micah speaks about as we get into chapter 2, verse 1, all the way down uh, through chapter 3, verse 12, is don't treat the people around you poorly. Uh, if we look at uh, some of the things that were happening, if we look at uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 2, there is oppression that is occurring. Uh, people, wealthy people are coveting fields, they're seizing houses, they're taking them away, and people are experiencing oppression as a result of this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8, uh, stripping a rich robe from a passerby. Someone's walking through your city with a nice coat, you take it. Uh, driving out women and children is specifically mentioned in chapter 2, verse 9. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses and from their young children. You take away my splendor forever. There's some sense that the people in the land are oppressing uh, men, women, children, passers-by, uh, this is something that God does not appreciate from his people. It is not what he has called his people to do in their mission, to be a light to the world and a light to the Gentiles. Uh, in, in verses 12 through 13, God reminds us that his way is not the same as the people who are currently leading Israel. There's been a scattering. There's been a disbursement of the, of the people. People are being oppressed. People are being driven from their homes. This is what God says. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass through the gate, going out by it. The king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And so it's a reminder that that God himself is going to be the shepherd or the king of his people. Uh, As we move into chapter 3, we're seeing that Israel's leaders were acting unjustly. If we look at verses 1 through 4, there's a sense that the leaders of the nation are feasting on the people, presumably metaphorically, but their feasting would have been robbing them of their wealth, robbing them of their rights, taking advantage of them. Uh, It's akin to a shepherd feasting on the sheep in the flock. It is not the right mission of the shepherd. Verses 5 through 7, there's uh, words that are spoken to prophets or and priests. Israel's priests and false prophets seem to be manipulating the people for personal gain. If you could feed the prophet or if you could pass a bribe to the prophet, they would have a good word for you. Uh, but um, the false teachers and the prophets were proclaiming in verse 11, um, they felt that... The Lord is in their midst. The Lord is present with us. No disaster shall come upon us. And so their tendency was to ignore the teaching of, of, of preachers and prophets like Isaiah and Micah. And instead, they were leading the people astray with their false teaching by claiming the Lord is in our midst. No disaster will come upon us. Uh, God points out that his plan for the land of Zion, for the nation of Israel, is different. 
because of you, because of the false prophets, because of the failed leadership, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooden height. So again, that, that desolation that we read about in Samaria in chapter 1 is also promised to the city of Jerusalem at the end of chapter 3. The principle for this first section is walking humbly with God involves loving God and loving other people. Uh, Walking humbly with God involves loving God and loving others. Toby Keith uh, had a song that he sang. Uh, Toby Keith, great country musician, maybe not great, but a well-known country musician. How about that? Uh, And in this song, Toby Keith starts off in the verse, and he's singing about all the time that he spends listening to, it it appears to be a wife or girlfriend, but all the time he spends listening to his wife or girlfriend talk about her clothes, her hair, her friends, her life. And as the song moves into the chorus, Toby Keith says, I want to talk about me. And he wants to talk about all the things that are important to him and the things that he likes and the things that he hopes and the things that he dreams. Toby Keith wants to talk about me. And I would say that this captures uh, potentially a lot of the human experience. Uh, A lot of people out there want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about how great they are, how great their ideas are, how great uh, their plans are, how great their work is, how great their family situation is. And they want to post photographs to go with it on social media. And they want to declare the greatness of their lives to other people. And uh, I was thinking about you know another songwriter took a different approach as this songwriter considered the things that God had done. Uh, as this songwriter got into his chorus, he came to the conclusion or spoke the reality, my God, how great thou art. Right? And that's sort of the, the, the choice that we have to make. What are we going to sing about? Which of these two songs would maybe best describe the, the, the voice of your heart, uh, the desire of your heart. Uh, my heart can sometimes be very much focused on what I want and what my needs are and the ways that I've been slighted. Um, but I, there is a, a, a reminder that God calls his people to have their focus on him and on others. And so which of those two songs, Toby Keith or How Great Thou Art, uh, which is the song that best describes the condition of your heart and my heart? And then as we think about, you know, whatever the song is that we're singing, and I'm assuming that you're singing one that's a little bit more like Toby Keith, uh, what does it look like to begin to turn away from ourselves and our felt needs uh, and our desires and the things that we want to talk about to begin to turn and have a greater focus on God and others? Uh, What does that process look like in your life? What's one thing that you could do today, tomorrow, or uh, in the near future that would involve turning away from you and turning towards 
God. Maybe it's something that would be worth praying about, asking God to give you some inclination or direction of what would it look like to begin turning away from ourselves and our own our own needs, our own perspectives, and our own desires, and to begin to think more about what God uh, would have for us, what God is thinking about, what's important to God, uh, rather than what's important to me. As we go into this next section, verses uh, chapters four through six. We're going to see that walking humbly with God means that we're going to trust his future plans. A lot of the section is looking forward to what God is going to do in the future. So uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, God's future plans will include the elevation of the house of the Lord on Mount Zion. God's word is going to go out among the nations, and uh, there will be a desire of the nations to come and hear more from the Lord at Mount Zion. There's uh, words in here of worldwide peace where uh, spears and weapons of war will be beaten into farm implements. Uh, God's future plans are going to have his house and his words be elevated. Uh, God's future plans, verses 6 through 10 of chapter 4, est- involve establishing a strong nation with him as the king. The people of the kingdom will be comprised of the lame, the cast off, the afflicted. Uh, verses 11 through 13, God's future plans involve the destruction of nations that reject him. Uh, if you look at verse 12, uh, specifically, you can see uh, one of the comments that God, God makes, but they do not know, they being some of the nations, the nations that have been assembled, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Uh, these nations are going to be some some nations, some people are going to be opposing what God is doing. Uh, chapter five, verses one through five. God's future plans involve a ruler from Bethlehem that will shepherd God's people with God's power. Uh, many of you are familiar with this passage, chapter five, verse two. This is how we. Uh, this is if we look to when the Magi came and wanted to know where was the Christ going to be born. They were like in Bethlehem. Uh, that's from Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Uh, and again, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, verse 4. So there is a future ruler that is coming uh, who will shepherd God's people in a way that is unique And again, we have a sense as we look forward in this section, uh, we have a sense that some people are not aligned with this plan that God has. 5.15, and in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Uh, And so again, there's a sense in here that uh, God's future plans involve judgment on nations. This is from 6 to 15. God's future plan involved judgment on people and nations opposed to his plans and purposes. Uh, the principle for this section is God's plan is good. God's plan is good, not easy. God's plan is good, not easy. This is not a strange idea to us, right? Many things in this world, whether you know cardiovascular exercise, weightlifting, healthy eating, going to the dentist, these are all good things. These are good things. None of them are easy to do, right? The challenges of 
you know, working out on a regular basis or making healthy food choices or figuring out how you're going to go see the dentist twice a year. Uh, these are things that require effort on our part. Uh, and none of them are going to be easy to do. And I think as we think about the plan that God has, it's a good plan. But not all of it is going to be easy for us to accept or to experience. Uh, what's been hard about the journey that God has had you on? What are some ways that your journey, that, that the path that you've been walking with God has been challenging and difficult? And what are some of the ways that that path, even though it's been hard, has been good? What have been some of the blessings that you've experienced as you have walked with the Lord? And, and I think it's a good question to think about is, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to trust God when we're walking an easy road. It's easy to do. When life is easy, when, when work is easy, when relationships and friendships are easy, it is easy to trust the Lord. I think it becomes more challenging uh, to trust God and to be confident in his plan when our road gets more difficult, when the path is harder and steeper uh, when things don't go quite the way that we were expecting. In those times, what does it look like for us to turn and acknowledge, God, this isn't easy, but I know that it's good. Well, let's go ahead uh, and uh, take a look at uh, the last uh, two verses, two chapters of the book that we're going to look at, uh, verse 6 and verse 7. Uh, for this section, thinking about walking humbly with God means agreeing with God's judgments. Walking humbly with God means agreeing with God's judgments. I think we'd like to think that agreeing with God's judgments means that we're going to look out at other people and be like, yes, Mm, nailed it, God. That guy got exactly what he deserved. There might be some of that, right? I don't know that we're going to respond that way. But one of the ways that uh, these passages call us to agree with God's judgments are the, are the judgments that God speaks about us, right? The, he starts off and he has an indictment in verses 1 through 5. Uh, the nation of Israel had forgotten the many things that God had done for them. Uh, great righteous actions that God had done, bringing them out of Egypt, redeeming them from a house of slavery, Deliver, having Moses and Aaron lead the people, he sort of walks through a lot of the events that we think of as being part of the Exodus and says, you forgot, you forgot the righteous acts, the mighty acts that God did on behalf of you. Uh, one of the other things that the people had forgotten in uh, verses six through eight of chapter six, the people of God had forgotten what it looked like to live as God's people. Uh, they, they, they were wanting to come before him with burnt offerings and with calves. Uh, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with thousands of rivers of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The people had thought that it was just what they did outwardly that was going to be the way that they were to serve God and to acknowledge his importance in their life. Micah reminds us in uh, chapter 6, verse 8, the thing that God requires is to do justice and to love kindness or, or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And this is, I think, the main thrust of, of Micah's passage is to remind people what it looks like to live as the people of God. If we go to verses uh, 9 through 16, it seems like some of the people in the nations had forgot that there really was a king in heaven that there was a king on the throne in heaven that was superior to two of the kings that are mentioned, Omri and Ahab. 
uh, one of the few places that these guys are mentioned in uh, the book of the prophets. But in verse 16, uh, for you have kept the statues of Omri and the works of the house of Ahab. Uh, those were kings and they sat on an earthly throne. But uh, many people have forgotten that there is a king in heaven who sits on a heavenly throne. And if you look at some of the rebuke that God has for the wicked people uh, in, that he speaks about in verses 9 through 15, um, he talks about the ways that, that their value system and their lives and the things that they're striving towards will ultimately uh, be made futile by God himself. As we go into chapter 7, uh, one of the things that I think Micah was beginning to wonder about, you know, has God forgotten to act? Uh, Micah was struggling with this. He begins chapter 7, verse 1, Woe is me, for I have become as when summer fruit has been gathered, uh, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. Surely, Lord, the time has come for you to act. Um, and it wasn't time. God's time hadn't come, uh, and, and Micah had to grapple with this. Uh, Micah is experiencing his enemies rejoicing over him. Chapter 7, verse 10. Uh, he was uh, thinking about a day. Uh, a day will come, chapter 7, verse 16. A day will come when the nations will see and be ashamed. Uh, but again, that day has not yet come. And so Micah was worried that, that God might forget uh, to act. And the principle for this section is that God will not forget his people. God will not forget his people. You know, I think um, as I sort of you know, tried to take myself and my mind back to what it would be like to live in the time of Micah and you know, to have been pursuing idol worship and to have been uh, pursuing the ways of Omri and the ways of Ahab, you know, I, I began to evaluate what it would look like to return to God, and there, I would have been, I'd, I'd be concerned to to wonder as I return back to God's people and return back to God's family, you know, what harsh words might God have for you? Uh, what ways uh, might God kind of remind you? of all the ways in the past that you've failed him. Um, you know, sometimes we, we, we think of our own experiences as maybe we've, we've gone through processes of repentance or forgiveness in, in earthly scenarios. And, you know, we know that people never really let you forget. They never let you forget the fact that you made a bad choice and you walked down the wrong path and you screwed up and you did something wrong. Uh, and I think one of the things that can serve as an obstacle for returning to God uh, is is that fear that we have of how might God respond to me when I come back to him? And this is what Micah tells us as he wraps up chapter 7. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham 
as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. You know, I think the greatest thing about walking humbly with God is the opportunity to experience God's forgiveness. Uh, There is no one in the universe that has the ability to forgive the way that God does. Removing the guilt, removing the shame, removing the condemnation of sin, and restoring us to a right relationship with him. Friends, there's a lot of reasons to walk with the Lord. Uh, Micah has laid them out for us. I think the question that I want to leave you with as we wind up tonight is, are you willing to walk with him? Are you willing to walk with the Lord? You know, we have a choice about who are we going to walk with. Are we going to walk with some of the people uh, like the nation of Israel and the, we're walking with that was leading them into idolatry and into sin? Or are we willing to walk with the Lord? Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would reveal to me uh, and to those who are hearing my voice tonight uh, about ways that we are walking away from you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just show us what it would look like to begin to turn back to you and walk back to you uh, so that we can experience the blessing, that we can experience forgiveness, that we can experience restoration that is only available uh, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.